You're listening to City Church. Good morning, church. Yeah, all right. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Justin. God bless you. Thanks for uh, hanging out with City Church today. Um, so excited that you have decided to join us this morning. Just a great, great time to be serving Jesus. When you walked in, there's a little card. It says welcome card on the top of it. Just a way for us to stay in touch with you, a way for us to pray for you. If, uh, if you have a prayer request, go ahead and fill that out. If you've just recently given your life to Christ, you can check the box. Say, I'm, I'm new at this. I've just recently given my life to Jesus. Or if you're a first-time guest, you can check that box. Uh, there's a gift for you if you're a guest at the, uh, at the welcome table when you walk out. Uh, it'll be there on the left. Just make sure you grab your gift. It would be a, our honor to just give you a gift and, and say thanks for being here. Um, awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, we'll receive an offering at the end of my little announcement time here. So uh, if you want to prepare that, you can. If you want to give. Uh, if you're new to City Church, don't feel any obligation to give. I do want to celebrate. Um, God's been doing a good work here. You guys know that we launch um, our Meriden location at City Church in, uh, in October, so we're excited about that. We're thrilled, and uh, you know, we've been saving for this really for about a year now, and God has really been faithful so far. You guys, directly over the last three weeks, you know that we've been uh, receiving funds specifically for the Meriden launch. So far, you have given $32,503.97, so you can put your hands together. Thank you for your generosity, and uh, whoever gave that 97 cents, bless you. It's awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's great. So uh, we're excited about that, and, uh, and we're getting closer and closer. If you still want to give to Meriden, um, just uh, you can always contact the church or give online to Meriden. We're, uh, we're still raising funds to get all the way up to 40, and uh, we're close, and by God's grace, we're going to be uh, more than that. And so it's, it's exciting. It's really, really exciting. So um, there is a second um, launch meeting, pre-launch meeting, we call them, uh, Sunday night, the 21st of September in Meriden. So prepare for that and come out and support the church in Meriden, and uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Another really exciting thing, just to mention it, I mean, there's so much going on for God's glory right now. Um, Bridgeport, our Bridgeport location, normally has a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock service. Today, they're combining into one service and doing an outdoor baptism in downtown Bridgeport. I mean, that's awesome. So uh, I'm sure it's probably just, you know, they're probably still baptizing people right now. And uh, I can't wait to hear the reports about that. That is just probably going to be an awesome, awesome morning in Bridgeport. I think the weather is pretty nice. So, um, so that's great. Very cool. Um, also want to let you know, if you're new to City Church, maybe this is your first time ever, or maybe you've been here two, three, four weeks, five weeks even, every first Sunday of the month, we like to have a lunch. We call it a welcome lunch. It's just a way for us to meet you, a bunch of the leaders uh, free up our time to be there. I'm there and share a little bit about the church, and uh, our hospitality team provides a really good lunch. It's free, and it only takes about 15 minutes. It happens right after the service. Of course, you can stay longer than that and eat doubles and triples if you want, but uh, right after this service, we'll have a welcome lunch, and you are invited, okay? We would love you to come. Uh, you are our guest, and uh, it would be an honor to have you. Uh, the food is delicious. They do a great job, and uh, of course, it's free, and just get to meet some people from the church, some of the leaders from the church, ask any questions you may have, it's a great way to just uh, kind of first get to know some of the people here at City Church. So that will happen today, right after this service. So mentally start preparing to say yes to come to that now, okay? So it's going to be great. You're going to have a lot of fun if you come. And whoever that was is excited about the welcome lunch. So a couple other things that are important. Um, next week, we start signups for what we call community groups here at City Church. Those are our home groups or small groups. We have groups that meet every night of the week at City Church and... Um, and so those will, sign-ups will start for those next week. And so be prepared. Also next week we start a series called I Found Joy, which I am psyched about. I want to encourage you. 
I really believe God is going to put someone on your heart to invite to this series. So be thinking and praying, God, who could I invite? Who could I stretch beyond my normal routines and invite to this church? Maybe a family member, maybe a friend, whoever it is. But I encourage you to consider inviting somebody for next week. It's going to be awesome. And uh, lastly, just wanted to mention that if you're a musician here, um, one of the things about City Church that uh, we're aggressive in is we keep planting churches. And every time we plant churches, it means we need more musicians. Services, it's actually five services every Sunday in three locations. We need a lot of about it. It's going to be fine. Um, but we do ask that if you're interested in uh, auditioning for uh, City Worship, which is our, our music section of City Church, uh, we encourage you, sign up today in the lobby. There's a little sign-up sheet all day after church um, on September 14th, we'll have auditions, okay? And so all the information's out there, but it'll kind of go throughout the rest of the day on September 14th after the church services so you can find a slot and audition. Maybe you play guitar, maybe you play drums, maybe you play bass, maybe you sing, whatever it is, we have auditions for that and sign up. You can, uh, you can get more information about that. Specifically, if you're a drummer, okay? In Jesus' name, come forth, all right? If you're here and you play drums, we really need you to get involved. I mean, any, any instrument we're really looking to. Uh, I mean, if you play the kazoo, you can sign up and uh, you can audition. And so um, we got to film these and make a little video. It would be great. Anyways, um, we won't do that. Uh, but sign up today and they'll get you the information and somebody will call you this week with all the specifics and, uh, and we'd love to have you be a part, all right? So we just finished uh, three weeks. We walked through three different stories in the Old Testament. If you've been around, we finished our time over there at Long Wharf. We'll be back here for uh, the foreseeable future. And, uh, and so uh, we finished three weeks on, in, a, in a series called The History of Grace. Next week, we start a series on joy, really understanding the idea of Christian joy and how joy is applied to our lives individually and collectively. Uh, but this week is kind of an in-between week, and uh, I really felt the Lord give me permission to share something that's personally been kind of stirring in my soul. And so um, I want to start in 2 Thessalonians today. If you're new to the Bible, uh, Thessalonians, that's a mouthful, right? This was written to the church in Thessalonica. So try that one out. Thessalonica. And it's 2 Thessalonians because it's the second letter we have written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Thessalonica. And so uh, he encourages his friends who love Jesus and he finishes with a prayer for them. And so I want to just read that prayer. It's just one verse, very simple. And uh, I think God wants to speak to each of us today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting verse 5. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. Paul prays this. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. The title of today's sermon is Welcome Home. Welcome Home just want to uh, pray and then ask God to speak to us through his word today, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for the opportunity again to gather as a family and to hear your voice. Jesus, I ask for a miracle this morning. I ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would supernaturally custom fit these words to speak to our individual circumstances. God, I know that you're up to something in each of our lives, and we just want to say yes to it. For the person that's walked in today and they're far from you and they don't know uh, you personally in a, in a way that's changed their life, I pray that today you'd get a hold of their heart. For the person that knows religion and traditions and faith but doesn't really know relationship with Christ, I pray that today there would be a transformation. And for those that are fervently following you, God, I thank you that today you have a great, great revelation for them. I pray that it's clear and that we each hear your voice in a profound way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. 
I want to share with you guys something that's very personal, okay? Very personal to the Kendrick story. Um, that's my last name, by the way. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, you can't make fun of me, okay? So um, we just have to have an agreement ahead of time that you're not going to tell anybody, all right? Um, this right here is, is a member of my family, known him longer than my wife, and uh, his name is Whoopi, all right? Um, I don't know if you had a blanket as a kid, but this was mine. Um, this is a very special blanket for me. It's not the most comfortable. It's not the softest. It's not the biggest, but it's the best, all right? And so uh, this, was, this was it. It's a little frayed. This is actually Wooby 2. Wooby 1 died, and, uh, and my mom quickly discarded him, and Wooby 2 showed up. And so Wooby 1 had no checkered, you know, white spots. So I was like, hey, that's not the same blanket, you know, but, but that's okay. Wooby 2's been with me a long time, and, uh, you know, Wooby came to college with me, and, um, uh, you know, my wife was like, are you serious? And I was like, you know, I mean, it's not like it's on my bed now often, but, um, but sometimes, you know, it shows up. And was there any other blanket people growing up? Any kids with a blanket? Okay, all right. And then the rest of you stuffed animal, any stuffed animal people? I was kind of both. I had both, but Wub was especially, you know, uh, important to me. And, and I can remember so specifically, I grew up in 14 Barton Circle. And I don't know your story, but I, I would bet that there's probably one place where you grew up that's kind of unique, kind of the special place that you think of when you think of home, you know? And you can buy other houses, but that house, for some reason, that place, it always just stands out in your mind. For me, that's 14 Barton Circle. When I drive by 14 Barton Circle now, I think to myself, like, there's always this little sense of offense when I see someone else in my driveway, you know what I mean? And I haven't lived there for, I don't know, 22 years, but still, I, I drive by, and it's like, ugh. What's that person doing in my house, you know? And, and, uh, and there's just something special about that house. And I can remember, this was back when people had clotheslines. Does anybody still have a clothesline? Oh, God bless you. Three people have clotheslines. But there was a day when everyone had clotheslines. Do you remember that? Where people used clotheslines. But there's something powerful about the clothesline. You put Wooby out on the clothesline, it flaps around, and, and, and then you bring him in. It's like, oh, it smells like summer. You know what I mean? Like it smells like brightness. Maybe you don't know. Okay, anyways, it's better than Downey. It's amazing, all right? It's, it's just something special about that. I remember as a kid, you know, all the specifics of that house. I could close my eyes right now, and I could see my bedroom. I had yellow carpet. There was a big black spot on that where I dumped a bunch of ink accidentally, and I had this TV with a Nintendo, and I had a bed, and somewhere along as a kid, I'd found a knife out in the woods, and I hid that knife under my bed just in case any bad guys showed up. You know, I'd take care of business, and so I had a knife under my bed, and then I had a book full of dirty jokes in my closet that I hid that I found somewhere, and I thought that was cool to have. I didn't even know what any of it meant, but it was just cool to have it. And so that I had hidden there. And all the little specifics about my house, I can see where my dog, Pandy, slept. I can see how we used to go down the stairs with Wooby on a, on a magic carpet ride down the stairs. You know, I can remember specifically that uh, before my parents were divorced, my dad used to take us down into the basement of 14 Barton Circle. And it's the house he grew up in as well. And, uh, and we would go down there, and he would shut off all the lights, and he would blast on his record player. That was before record players were cool again. Um, he, he would blast on vinyl the old song, The Monster Mash. Anybody know that? It was a mash. It was the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. The monster mash. And, and he would blast that as loud as he could, and he would chase me and my brother around in the basement. You know, we'd be like, ah! And he would, it'd be dark. And I mean, looking back as a parent now, it's like, Ted, there were like gas cans down there. I mean, like, that's crazy, you know, but for him, whatever. It was, it was the 80s, you know, and it was awesome. And we, used to, and we used to just like, you know, it was just an exciting experience. Home, home. You know the feeling when you haven't been home in a long time and you get home and, I don't know, it's not the couch, it's not the food, it's just something. You know what I'm saying? You know, humanity has been uh, enamored with this idea of home, 
really since the beginning of time. We make movies about home now. We write stories about home. You think of some of the great tales of the human race, like the Odyssey written by Homer, one of the great and earliest stories written by someone. It's really a story of a guy just trying to get home, right? He's just trying to get home. Something like, I never read that in high school. Well, Basically, you figure it out. He gets home, okay? That's the whole story. But uh, then there's E.T. I don't know if you remember E.T. He gets home, you know, something about E.T. Last night, we watched The Wizard of Oz with my kids, which is mildly terrifying, by the way, now that you watch it as an adult. It's like, oh my gosh, those monkeys are crazy looking, you know? But, uh, but anyways, we watched The Wizard of Oz, and of course, in the middle of it, I didn't even realize I was teaching the, this this morning and, and, and never even made the connection, like, hey, that's, that's kind of about home, you know? It's about a girl trying to get home, and uh, and um, one of the more recent ones that's touched my heart is, uh, is The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if anybody watches that. There's probably two or three people in here that you like play Lord of the Rings in your backyard or whatever, and that's fine. But, but um, you know, the, the last scene of that is, uh, is Frodo Baggins, and he's, he's, he's kind of coming home. And, and he gets back to the Shire, and there's the same old mean lady raking her leaves. And, and you know, he kind of walks in, and it's like, you know, I don't even care that you're a bitter old lady. I'm, I'm home. You know, I'm home. And something about the grass, something about the trees, something about the house, and it's hard to explain or put into language, but um, Maya Angelou did it well, the great poet. She said, uh, the ache for home lives in all of us, the safe place where we can go as we are and not be questioned. The ache for home, it lives in all of us. You know, and uh, psychologists say that one of the greatest psychological needs of your life is this security, this substance, this consistency that you find in home. It's why you decorate your cubicle with pictures of family members. It's not so that you don't forget who they are, right? It's like, oh, I almost forgot my wife. That's why I'd have a picture on, on, the, on my cubicle. Like, no, I mean, that's not why. That's why when you're, if you're a college student, you know, you bring stuff from home and you kind of set up your camp, you know what I mean? That's why you're sitting in the same seat that you were sitting in four weeks ago when we were here last time. It's because you have this sense of home. I was preparing this sermon and uh, I looked up, it was kind of cool. I looked up in my office and I found this. And uh, isn't this special? It says Justin's room. This is the only thing I have from my grandmother. She died when I was three. And, um, and it's the only thing that she, I have that she gave me. And it used to go on my bed at my old house. And I didn't even realize it, but I somehow have traveled with this thing for now 32 years or 30, I guess, uh, 29 years because she gave it to me when I was three. And it's been, it's been around all this time. And, uh, you know, it was hanging up in my office and I was praying about this message. And I looked up and I was like, dang, I do it in ways I don't even realize I'm doing it. I'm trying to find this home. I'm trying to keep this sense of home and, and, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I landed on this, on this verse. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of Christ and the steadfastness of God. Simple verse, a prayer. And something about the verse just arrested my attention. And I've been taking some time over the last week and a half really to reflect. Um, I shared with some of you guys, I think last week a little bit, one of my family members, uh, my aunt just passed away on Tuesday morning and she was young and it was a, it was a difficult, difficult death. And, um, and my family's been mourning that death. And thank you for your prayers. If you've been praying for me, I appreciate that. And, uh, also, next week is our three-year anniversary as a church. So I found myself this week, you know, kind of just flipping through some of the old stuff from the church. And most of you guys weren't there, but there was a time where it was just 20 people sitting in a room dreaming about church. And we would talk about things like, what does it really mean to be a Christian? You know, what does it really mean? I mean, yeah, we do this stuff and we go to a building and we sing songs and we listen to a sermon, but what does it really mean to be a Christian? Like, what is it? What is the substance of our faith? What are we trying to get at here? And then what does it mean to be church? What does it really mean to be a church? Why are we doing this? We come every week, we sing songs, we hear sermons. What are we trying to do? What's the substance of our faith? What's the essence of why we're here? And I was just reading some of my notes about that three years ago, asking those questions and, uh, and just, um, 
just reflecting on all that, and, and I kept thinking about this verse, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And I believe that the Lord started to whisper to me a little mystery, and that's what I want to share with you today. Um, first thing I notice about this verse is that it says that the Lord's going to direct our hearts, that God's going to direct our hearts. And so that word direct, it means to remove hindrances, to guide, or to make straight. And so uh, it appears that Paul views God as some sort of a tour guide to kind of lead us to a particular location, okay? So just get, get that in your mind for a second. Paul sees God as this guide who's kind of leading you by the hand. In fact, this passage in the message translation says, may the Lord lead you by the hand to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And so this idea of God leading us somewhere, I don't know if you've ever had a really good tour guide, someone that has led you somewhere well. I remember last year uh, we were in Rwanda doing some missions work and preaching in Rwanda, Africa, and God did a great work there, but the last day we just wanted to relax and hang out, and so a bunch of us decided to go on this safari in the middle of Africa, and so we go for four hours away from our base, then we get to the wilderness location, and we drive another six hours deep into the wilderness, and we're on the top of this hill looking at zebras and warthogs and all types of craziness. A giraffe runs by. It's a Amazing. There's this incredible experience, and then our truck dies. It's like I had this moment where I was like, I don't know if I've ever seen my kids again. You know, like we're in the middle of nowhere, you know, and I, I, it dawned on me that the only person between home and where I am right now is Jean-Claude Van Damme. That was the name of our tour guide. I think it's really just Jean-Claude, but he introduced himself as Jean-Claude Van Damme. But I think he was the only one. Jean-Claude was the only guy between me and home, and I had no concept of how to get there myself. I was fully relying on him to get me there. Jean-Claude, I don't know how to get out of this wilderness. We've been driving for six hours through dirt paths. I don't know how to get back to, my, to, uh, to where my base is, and I don't know how to find my team. I don't know where I am or how to get back. I have no cell phone. I have no nothing. I've got the clothes on my body and a couple bucks in my pocket, and the only way I know how to get home is you. By the way, thank you, Jean-Claude. He got that thing started again. Well, technically, we got it started. We got out and pushed it, and he popped the clutch and got it to start again, which is terrifying because you're getting out, and you're like, is a lion going to eat me right now? I mean, I'm in the middle of uh, like a reserve here, but, uh, but we survived and, uh, and it was a good time. But I want to I wanna get you to focus for a minute today on this fact that um, Paul is showing us that God is trying to guide us somewhere. He's specifically trying to guide a unique part of you, your heart, right? It says, may the Lord direct what? Your heart. So he's after your heart. Sure, you've got a body, you've got a mind, you've got a soul, but he's primarily trying to get your heart somewhere, all right? This is so important. He's trying to get your heart somewhere. Now, Scripture teaches this profound theological concept that scholars call regeneration, okay? They call regeneration. Regeneration means that, uh, here's one great definition of regeneration. It's the secret act of God in which he, God, imparts new spiritual life to us. It's when the lights come on, you realize you're in need of God, and then by faith you receive him. You're only able to do that because you've been regenerated or born again or born from above. Your eyes have been opened. Many of us have experienced this regeneration, yes? You've experienced a time in your life where you were dark towards God. You didn't care about God, but then something turned inside of you. You heard about the love of God. You heard about the love of Jesus, and you gave your life to him, and you trusted in Christ, and now you found an assurance in your heart that you were saved and loved by God. You found a desire in your heart for scripture. You found a desire in your heart to share your faith, a desire in your heart to obey God. That's the evidence that you've truly been regenerated. And you're like, I don't have any of those things. Well, you need to seriously consider the salvation of your soul then. 
Because those things point to the fact that God has opened up your eyes and that you truly are saved. And so we see this idea of regeneration. And the, in Ezekiel, he says that he describes it like this. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. A new heart. I don't know if you've ever had a heart transplant. Probably not too many people in the room have. But if you know much about the medical field and specifically heart transplants, you know that oftentimes when someone does receive a heart transplant, it's not a simple procedure. And very often the old body fights against the new heart. Very often the old body kicks at the new heart. It pushes against the new heart. Complications arise when a new organ is put into your being. In the same way, in the spirit, your old body kicks against the new heart that Christ has put in you. Can somebody say amen? Amen. It kicks against it, doesn't it? And so you find yourself, though the scripture says he loves you, you find yourself going, I don't know. Though the scripture says you're forgiven, you find yourself going, I'm stupid again. How patient are you going to be with me? Though the scripture says you're loved by God, though the scripture says God is good, when tragedy strikes, some of us say, you said you're good, God, but you're not looking very good to me right now. I'm not so sure about this whole goodness thing. See, you've got the heart, but uh, the old body fights against the introduction of this new reality. And so God seems to be certain that if he could just get you to one particular place, that you'll experience the fullness of what he's provided for you. And so where's he trying to get you? Well, let's look at it. May the Lord direct your hearts like a tour guide. He's going after your heart. Where? To the love of God. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God. It's so big, so massive, that it's difficult for us to grasp it. In Ephesians, Paul says it like this in the message translation. He he prays, he says, I ask him, that's God, that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. This is Paul's prayer for us. Now we see the love of God all through scripture. We see it with Adam and Eve. We see it with Abraham. We see it with Ruth, which we just looked at last week. We see it with Moses and David. We see it all through scripture. But scripture even declares that the purest, most beautiful, most accurate image of the love of God is God himself hanging on a cross. This is the picture of God's love. And so I want you for a moment just to allow your eyes to gaze upon his love. Allow it to offend you. Allow it to amaze you. Some of us have thought, Justin, I'm a Christian. I need to move on from the cross, right? I already know about the cross. I already know all about the cross, and we don't have to focus on the cross. Now, let's talk about some mysteries. Let's talk about some other nuances of the faith. Friend, what you've not realized is that as a Christian, you never move on from the cross. That Christian maturity is not advancing beyond the cross. It's advancing into the cross, that all the secrets of wisdom about God are discovered at the cross, that it's the centerpiece of all human history. And as we delve into it, dive into it in consistent flashes of glory, God reveals who he is. So take a moment with me, if the Lord's directing your heart into the love of God, to pause and gaze upon the love that he's seeking to direct you into. I want you to imagine for a moment or think with me the costliness of God's love. The costliness of God's love. Any athletes in the room? Anybody do anything athletic? <clears throat> Seven of us. Oh, there's got to be more than that. As an athlete, um, you know, maybe you've experienced a frustration when, uh, 
when you know that you have the ability to do something, but an injury or a hindrance stops you from being able to do it. You know what I mean? Like you twist your ankle and you can't play in the game anymore, or you know you hurt your shoulder and you can't pitch like you used to, or whatever. It's really frustrating to know I can do this, but my body just won't let me do it. You know what I mean? It's one of the great frustrations of, of, of life, that when you, when you feel limited by your, by your physical body, but you know that you have the capacity, right? You know you have the capacity, yet you don't have the opportunity to use it. It's a major frustration, yes? Any, ever felt that before? Yes. Okay, good. Um, imagine for a moment how much God experienced that reality, that he is the one who created the galaxies. He's the one that designed the human eye. He's the one that spoke stars into existence, and yet he chooses in his love to limit himself to a human body, and then he's hanging on a cross as people are mocking him, saying, you can't even get down, and he could get down. He could break in, command angels, cast them out, step off that cross, but it's love that says, you know what? I choose to limit myself to such a a radical extreme that I have all power in the world and yet I keep myself on this cross because I know that my blood shedding now will atone the sins of an entire world look at the depth of that love you know we try to get our mind around these things and I'm amazed by the love of God the Father that he would choose to send his only son. There was a day in my life where I thought, well, why didn't the father go? Why would he send his son? Because every father knows it's immeasurably more painful to send your son than to send yourself. It's more painful. I can't imagine watching my son die knowing that I have the ability to stop it and choosing because of my love for others to not. What a cost. What a cost. The scripture says that the father himself was the one who struck Jesus with the death blow. That it was God the father who snagged the life from Christ on the cross. It wasn't the nails. Wow. What kind of love is this? Consider for a second how undeserving we are. How undeserving we are. You know, I... Uh, I, I, three years ago now, we, we did our first I Heart New Haven Day. And it was a big celebration day on the green where a bunch of people, the church was small, we had just started out, uh, a bunch of people just raised a bunch of money and just loved on the city of New Haven. We did a whole bunch of stuff. And I'll, I'll never forget, we, we did all this stuff to just, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We were giving our own funds just to try to bless people and help the homeless and serve the poor and everything else. And so we ended up getting a ton of pizza and we bought most of it. And, and, and here we have all this pizza, New Haven pizza, which is the best in the world. Amen. And, uh, and, uh, you know, forget the Domino's, little Caesar bologna. This is the real stuff. And so we were giving away pizza. And this woman waited in line, received pizza. And I never forget, I'm serving her pizza. And I said, hey, here you go. God bless you. And she looked at me. And she said, that's it? She said, I just get these two little pieces. I've been waiting. I punched her in the face. <laughs> she fell out. The paramedics came. They arrested me. It was rough. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> no, I wanted to, though. Oh, give her the five-fold ministry, right? Boom. You know, I, I was like, you're going to be kidding me. I gave my money to buy you this, and you complain. Go buy your own pizza. Give me that back. You know, but I was just like, I was just like, oh, you know, ungrateful woman, be blessed in Jesus' name. I don't remember what I said, but I said something. And, uh, you know, there's something inside of us that burns at people's ingratitude, don't we? How could you be so ungrateful? How could you do that? How could you be so ungrateful? 
And yet we do the exact same thing to God. He sheds his blood. He gives himself on the cross and we act like it's no big deal. We go on piddling around in our little sin or go on focused on our own stuff, focused on our own mission, our own passions, while all along the love of God is still stretching out toward us saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I was thinking about this this morning. His kindness changes our hearts when we see, you're still waiting for me? This dysfunctional, distracted person, God, you're still waiting for, your arm is still stretched out towards me? The depth of his sacrifice, the undeserving nature of our lives. And then think also just for a second about how lavish this love was. This week I looked up every single time in the New Testament, it uses this word inheritance. And inheritance is something that you get because you're in the family. You don't get because you earned it. You get it because you're in the family. And again and again and again, the scripture speaks of the fact that God gives you and me, followers of Jesus, an inheritance. He gives us perfect standing before God. He gives us permanent joy. He gives us eternal life forever with him. He gives us the love of God in our hearts. He gives us purpose in this life. He gives us these things freely because of Christ. Think how lavish the inheritance is that he's given. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? I took a... 200 years of high school French. I took so much high school French, it's unbelievable. And I got to France years after high school, and I couldn't even put together one sentence, you know? I don't have like a real gift for, for language beyond English. It just wasn't, it's just, you know. Anyways, I'm American, I get an excuse. But no, I don't, but it's amazing how ignorant we are to the world, right? And so I get there, and I can't even put a, 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 a line together, and I'm at a restaurant trying to order some. I'm like, you know, Silvu, I don't know, man. Just give me a plate, just Silvu play. You know, I don't know, I don't know. I forgot it at all, okay? Miss Prisco would be so angry right now. I can't remember anything she taught me, right? And, uh, and it's like, you know, listening to God and his love is kind of like interacting with a foreign language. It's like this love is so, what are you saying right now? What? You love me like that? It's kind of like climbing over a hill in an uncharted land and getting up to the top and looking down at the glorious fields and the waterfalls and the trees and looking down and being like, wow, look at that. This pristine, beautiful environment. This is amazing. And the thing about the scripture, notice that it says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. It doesn't say, may the Lord direct your heart being, but may the Lord direct your hearts, some translations say, into the love of God. He's trying to take you somewhere specific, and this is where I'm going today. This is a prayer for you. You followed Christ for 30 years. This is your prayer. You're not a follower of Jesus. This is your prayer. May the Lord direct your heart into the love of God. He's trying like a tour guide to guide you by the hand to somewhere specific. And it's not about your circumstance. It's not about what's going on in life. See, God is far more interested in what's happening in you than what's happening around you. Yes, he cares about all the nuances of what's happening around you, but he's far more interested in what he can do in you. He's trying to get your heart to a specific place, right? He is a tour guide for your heart. And he's trying to lead you somewhere specific because he knows that that's the home you've been looking for. See, God's love is the only home for your heart. This is the reality that started massaging into my mind as I meditated on this verse. God's love is the only home for your heart. See, your heart needs a home. Your heart needs a place where it can rest. Your heart needs a place where it can eat food. 
Your heart needs a place where it can just laugh and relax. Your heart needs a place where it can make plans. Your heart needs a place where it can step from every day. Your heart needs a home, and the only home for your heart, it's not heaven, though heaven is amazing. It's not this earth. It's not a church. The only home for your heart is the love of God. The love of God is the home for your heart. That's what God, check this out, that's what God's been up to all along. That's what he's been doing with you all this time that you've been following him. He's been trying to get you to let go of everything else so that he could direct your heart and just go, hey, build a house here. Take up residence. Change your address with the post office. Build a home in my love. This is where you stay. And if you stay here, you find everything else. You notice the second part of this verse, it says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Now, many translators and, uh, and different Bible scholars have wrestled with that passage. Some have thought it to meant uh, the steadfastness to stay believing for Christ for as, however long it takes for him to return. Or the steadfastness like Christ had to be consistent in your faith even through trial. And all that is certainly true. As I meditated upon this verse, I felt like the Lord was impressing to, upon me a specific understanding about the steadfastness of Christ. It says, may the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. I believe that this idea of steadfastness of Christ. That means consistency, right? Consistency of Christ. See, Christ produces an incredible consistency in your work, in your, in your walk with God, because he, as your substitute, has removed the issue of sin. So no longer does God take you based upon your performance. He takes you based upon Christ's performance, which produces a consistency that God is always for me. May the Lord direct your heart into the love of God because you have consistency through Christ. It's the steadfastness of Jesus that has become your substitute. Now, before God, Christ represents you so that when he views you, he sees the perfection of his son and transfers it to your account. And because of that, you have a consistency that when you fail, he's for you. When you forget, he's for you. When you fumble, he's for you. He's always for you in Christ. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God. So why do we gather here every week? What are we doing here? Why do we gather? What is Christianity? At its root, what is it? Don't you see that we're here because each of us progressively is learning to let those arteries open up so that that new heart can pump the blood all through the body. Don't you realize that we're here because our body, our natural man, rejects this type of love, and yet all along it's been God's vision to lead us into it from a place of consistency where we're home in it. So our job here, what we're doing here, it's not some tradition, it's not some legalistic routine. What we're doing here is we're learning to live from love. That's what we're doing here. You know, I can humbly say in three years, coming up next week, three years at City Church, I can humbly say that I have learned to live from his love more and more and more and more every week. And I think that that's the testimony of many of us in this room. That maybe you were a follower of Christ before you came here, or maybe you gave your life to Christ here at City Church, but every single week, more and more and more, I look back and I see I'm learning to live from the love of God. But it's not just about learning to live from the love of God. It's about inviting others home. It's inviting others home because every single person on the planet has this deep burden in their heart 
to get Wooby to climb up on their couch and to feel like home. But the natural things can't satisfy that because you're not a natural person at your root. You're a supernatural person. And deep down inside, there's a spirit inside of you. And that home for that heart is God alone and his love. And when you find that love and you find the steadfastness of Christ, if you would just make your home there, then everything else fits into place. I want to wrap up with this. There was a, you know, praying about where we are as a church. Been on this journey three years, and um, some, most of you haven't been there, obviously, the whole time, but it's, it's been amazing what God has done and how God has worked, and so many people have turned their life to Christ, and even the people being baptized today in Bridgeport, I just celebrate grace. I think five or six people turned their life over to Jesus in the first service, and today, here in New Haven, and it's just incredible. It's exciting, and um, and. I want to prophesy to you right now something that the Lord has put so strong on my heart. God has put on my heart. And I want to prophesy it to you right now. I believe that as a church community, we've been growing and building and building and growing and growing and building. And I believe that we are just walking up to the top of the mountain right now. And I believe with all of my heart that as we've grown and as we've developed and as we've developed and as we've grown, more and more people haven't caught a passion for city church, but have caught a passion for Christ to spread the lifestyle of authentic Christianity, the substance of our faith. Truly people submitted to Jesus in love with God, living from that home that is Christ and we're seeing that spread to more people and to more people and to more people and we're trading in tradition and religion for true relationship with the living God we're trading in all the things that had the structures for the substance of a real faith that loves God and loves our neighbor we're trading those things in and we're seeing it spread and we're seeing it grow and we're seeing it grow and we're seeing it spread and I believe that right now over the next three months we will hit and I want to prophesy this to you we will hit a tipping point in our church community that's so many have caught a vision for what it really means to live for Christ, that they're willing to give their money and their energy and their time and their talents and their life. They're willing to change their schedules. They're willing to shift their life plans because they feel God calling them to this region. So many are catching that burden that I believe now we will see an explosion of that reality far greater than we've seen in these three years. That's the conviction that burns in my heart. But here we stand at a crossroads. Next week, by the way, I already mentioned it, we start community groups. What are we doing at community group? Is it a Bible study? No. And yes. It is. We say that we practice life in Christ. What does that mean? To practice life in Christ, it means that you take the things that we wrestle with here and you apply them through personal relationships in a home on a regular basis. That's what we do at community group. So yes, we study the scripture. Oh, I get it, I get it. So you have Bible studies that meet every week. No, they're not Bible studies, but yes, we study the Bible. We say we practice life in Christ with others. See, we have a passion here at City Church to do it through intentional relationship. This means that we get together with the same people on a consistent basis. We learn each other's lives. We care for each other. So if you break your leg, we bring you food. Not some institutionalized church, but your friends who walk with you through community group, right? And so we do life together in a very practical way. Now, oh, I get it, I get it. So your small groups, they're like social groups. No. And yes. Yeah. 
So are they a Bible study? Well, no, but they are. Are they, are they social groups? No, but they are. And then it says we, we, we say that we practice life in Christ with others on mission. What does it mean to be on mission here at City Church? We believe that you're not a healthy follower of Christ unless you're giving away what God has given you. And so on mission means that you're intentionally, as a small group, you're intentionally going out and loving others beyond the walls of this church. Not that we even have walls since we don't own any buildings, but beyond the structures of our church, right? And so we're loving people beyond those structures. Oh, I get it. Okay, so your, 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 uh, your small groups are kind of like, like mission groups, right? No. And yes. And yes, because yeah, we all take on a mission. Some help the homeless and some help the poor and some help single moms that don't have enough and on and on and on. They do different things, always practicing life in Christ with others on mission. Next week we start doing that and there will be some of you that say, I don't want to sign up because, um, you know, I don't know anybody. Genuine Jesus loving advice. Consider changing your schedule. Consider changing your life habits and consider going deeper now. If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.